This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 13th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. 9-11 fundamentally altered American foreign policy and made a broad range of mainstream Muslims nervous. Cato's Doug Bandau and Mustafa Akiol discussed the changes 20 years ago and how the U.S. should engage with the Muslim world and Afghanistan in the future. We are recording this to coincide with the 20-year anniversary of the attacks of September 11th. Doug, what did American foreign policy look like on, oh, say, 9-10? It looked very different. President George W. Bush had run on a platform where he said he wanted a humble foreign policy. He seemed somewhat skeptical of uh, military intervention. He was somewhat critical of American involvement in the Balkans. One had a sense that America, while the dominant power coming out of the Cold War, was going to have a more restrained attitude towards the world. And that vision of foreign policy completely disappeared on 9-11. So what, I suppose, what did that mean? I mean, practically speaking, within days, we had an AUMF to uh, take on al-Qaeda and its extremist allies, uh, which, of course, has been stretched beyond all recognition. But in, in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, what did that look like? Well, the most important action immediately was Afghanistan. It was threatening the Taliban, demanding the turnover of Osama bin Laden. When that did not occur, the U.S. got involved in October. The U.S. inserted forces in Afghanistan. But it also set in motion the invasion of Iraq because there were people within the administration who had wanted to do that. And they saw 9-11 as essentially their opportunity. So they were quite ready to move on from Afghanistan almost immediately, even though Afghanistan was the the war relevant to 9-11, because they saw an opportunity for much broader action in the Middle East. And once that happened, that utterly transformed American foreign policy in terms of a willingness to launch a war against another country, and going on from there, all of the conflicts that came out of that. Mustafa, uh, you're here in part to give us the sense of what the uh, Muslim experience was uh, from 9-11 forward. You were in Turkey uh, on September 11th, 2001. What was the initial thought among Muslims in Turkey right after this event occurred? Sure. I remember that day I was trying to finish up my master thesis and I, I saw on the news that this amazing, this unbelievable thing happened in New York. Uh, it was surreal. But uh, the, the interesting thing I think to note is that overwhelming opinion in Turkey was that this is terrible. This is unacceptable. I mean, people didn't like U.S. policy here and there, but killing innocent people in a, in a city and women and children, that was unacceptable. That was the Islamic opinion too. There may be, maybe there were some hardcore circles. And uh, and some people, you know, showed uh, of some people cheering for 9-11 in some pockets of the Muslim world, but that was not the common opinion, I think. That was not the common opinion in tr- Turkey and I think the broader Muslim world. Um, so there was an understanding that the U.S has a right to do something against al-Qaeda. So that was also granted. But when this started to go beyond that, especially Iraq, when it came to the occupation of Iraq, that initial sympathy 
absolutely vanished. And what are they, I mean, they're using this, right? It, and then even came conspiracy theories that this was actually an inside job since they are now using this to do other things, uh, which, I mean, I, I, of course, don't agree with that. But uh, I think there was a sympathy for Americans for the loss of life uh, broadly in the Muslim world. But, but the way this culminated in a relentless and endless quote-unquote war and terror in Iraq, and with the horrible things happening in Iraq, with the tortures and prisons and everything, I think America lost that sympathy it had in the beginning very quickly. Doug, I was a reporter 20 years ago this week, and I, I recall watching with a great deal of interest, George W. Bush's response within days of 9-11. And for at least a little while, there seemed to be this attempt, a, a concerted attempt, it seems, uh, at the White House to try to separate out al-Qaeda from the rest of the Muslim world and, and, and try to make this not about Islam and try to make this about the very, the relatively small number of very bad guys who were involved in this attack. I believe that's what George W. Bush initially wanted to do. I don't like his policies, but I think at base he was a decent human being, and he understood that this didn't represent more than a billion Muslims, but rather this was the action of a very small radical faction, you know, murderous-minded, that needed to be addressed directly as opposed to going after all Muslims because they were Muslims. The problem is that in many ways he was overwhelmed by the response, one of which Americans tended not to make that distinction. It was very easy for people who were angry, understandably angry, to see the death of nearly 3,000 you know, people that uh, you know, the, in an attack on the homeland to kind of broaden that. And when you start attacking other countries, you've made it much harder to argue we're only going after the bad guys who attacked us. When, as Mustafa indicated, you look at this and say, well, what does this have to do with invading Iraq? You know, why are you locking people up in Abu Ghraib? Why are you doing these other things? All of a sudden, this takes on a broader character, and I think it simply ran away from him. And then you look at police practices, you look at enforcement practices in the U.S., where there is a tendency of law enforcement who don't want to have anything else happen to start looking very suspiciously at almost all Muslims. And they look at mosques and they don't, you know, they don't really understand Islam. They don't know what's being taught. They don't speak Arabic. So they start wondering what's going on in there and they start imagining, you know, and then you see a lot of the enforcement practices that tended to target, uh, you know, travel uh, TSA, you know, who gets secondary inspections, et cetera. So unfortunately, it ran away from the initial good intention, which is very important to maintain that. And I think the U.S. lost control of that. And that was very harmful. Uh, Mustafa, did you have any experience sort of with uh, a broad swath of Americans and, and making it known that you were a Muslim uh, before uh, your most recent uh, arrival here in the U.S.? Uh, I, I've seen I mean, a big change. I mean, I actually remember my first flight to the United States in 1998. And I was I took a Delta flight and I wanted to pray on the plane. And I was amazed by how kind and polite and helpful the flight attendants were in those years. In a few years, I think it would change a little bit because people were scared. Now, 
the thing is, I understand if a society is hit by some terrorists, which really do unimaginable things, and they're saying we're acting in the name of this religion, and if that religion is not known at all in that society, you will have these biases. Uh, but it was uh, th- precisely for that it was the job of the American elite to, you know, bring some nuance into this discussion. Uh, I, I agree with Doug that, I mean, despite his foreign policy, the personal intention of George W. Bush by going to a mosque and saying that Muslims are not our enemies, you know, they're our citizens, that, that was a good thing. And actually, later, some figures came that went, m- m- a lot of people missed that, right? I mean, George W. Bush's more nuanced approach when it comes to uh, approach to Islam. What I saw after that in the years after 9-11 is that the language of groups like Al-Qaeda appeared to Americans as the language of Islam. I mean, the word jihad became synonymous with terrorism. Well, it is Al-Qaeda who understands like that. When you ask one billion Muslims out there, they will say, well, it means that if your country is occupied, you can defend yourself. It's self-defense. But it was never meaning terrorism, which is attacks on innocent civilians before, just a few decades ago, I mean, it began before Al-Qaeda, but with these extremist groups began, uh, beginning to emerge in the 70s, uh, which is uh, still an ongoing problem. And there are people who are feeding on this wave of Islamophobia. And and I don't uh, agree that, you know, groups like Al-Qaeda or ISIS has nothing to do with Islam. There are obviously very extreme fanatic interpretations of Islam that must be challenged in the name of Islam by Muslims. So we have a lot of things to do in our midst as the Muslim community globally. But also it is incredibly wrong and unfair and, and counterproductive to think that what these groups represent is... Uh, basically authentic Islam, and, and other, other Muslims are potentially uh, drawn into this, which they are not. The United States, as far as we can tell, has concluded its uh, 20-year adventure in Afghanistan at an enormous cost. What now? What should U.S. policy be with respect to Taliban-run Afghanistan? I think it's a mistake to try to have nothing to do with Afghanistan, to isolate Afghanistan, to refuse to acknowledge their existence. This is a bad regime. There's no question about that. And we should have no illusions. Its attempt to reposition itself and argue that it's moderate shows, to my mind, much more good PR than much reality. And we certainly, if you look at the new regime that they have you know, put into place, you know, we don't see a lot of change from their rule in the past. But we had diplomatic relations with the Soviet Union. You know, there are reasons why you want to have dealings with a government like this, including we hope that they will be helpful in preventing or trying to prevent al-Qaeda, for example, from launching terrorist attacks. And indeed, one of the potential positives is they now have to face a set of countries around them which also have that as a a desire. China does not want to see Afghanistan turn into a hotbed of terrorism that could be used against China as well as other countries. You know, Pakistan has gotten a lot of criticism over the years, especially given the groups within Pakistan. It doesn't want to see active terrorist attacks coming out of Afghanistan. Certainly India doesn't want that. Iran doesn't want that. Russia doesn't want that. So 
I think it makes sense to engage exactly what that means. You know, how far do you go? We can argue about, but I think we want to be open to at least talking to and having uh, hopefully NGOs in, humanitarian groups, looking for ways to work with that government to the extent that we can find some commonalities and cooperate. It won't be easy, but it would be foolish to walk away and have no contact. I agree with Doug that Afghanistan under the Taliban should be engaged. Uh, the oppressive worldview, ideology, religious interpretation of the Taliban is certainly a big matter of concern. Uh, but also, uh, Taliban can be now a government that can be talked with. I mean, as we've seen in Doha and the whole process. Uh, so that is, I mean, Saudi Arabia is a very oppressive country, but U.S. has relations with Saudi Arabia for many years. I'm not saying Afghanistan is right at that, that level now. But uh, I think those nuances should be seen. I want to make a broader point. I mean, since 9-11, I've heard this narrative from some circles in the United States that radical Islam is like communism. It's the next, you know, Cold War. This is the new ideology that we have to fight. with. Now, there is some truth to that in the sense that, yes, that these people that we call Islamists and jihadists are their armed version, have an authoritarian vision of society. It's an alternative to classical liberalism, democracy, liberal democracy. So there is some truth to that. Although there is nothing like a Soviet Union superpower behind it, but there are pockets of this group. But I'll tell one thing. America didn't win Cold War first through McCarthyism, right? Like, Yes, communism was a problem, but it was important not to have witch hunts inside the country, which was a mistake under the McCarthyistic era. So it was it's important not to repeat things like that. So therefore, some of the McCarthyistic language against Muslims I've seen in, uh, in 9-11, after 9-11, was wrong, and they should be abandoned for good. Second, America didn't win against communism by going and occupying communist countries one by one. Quite the contrary. I mean, actually, some of those experiences like Vietnam failed. America won against communism because America showed that freedom works and communism was doomed to fail because of its own contradictions. I think that would, that would be the same thing uh, for these radical Islamists and their ideology. What America uh, should do is to uphold freedom, uphold human rights within itself and also in the world, which means America shouldn't go and support bloody tyrants simply because they are quote-unquote anti-Islamists, right? Actually, that vicious cycle keeps these Islamist groups more and more agitated. So uh, having a foreign policy that focuses on human rights and also uh, keeping democratic, liberal uh, human rights standards at home is the best thing to do against ideological threats like, uh, like communism or uh, radical Islamism. Mustafa Akiol and Doug Bandau are senior fellows at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 